Let us pray. God, we thank you for this opportunity to gather here and worship you, for your stories, for your scripture, for your word, for us. And God, as we examine your word and as we continue in worship here and with our lives, speak into our hearts, minds, and lives that which you have for us today and each day. And may my words be yours. In Jesus' name, amen. It's good to be back with you. I love this gospel story. Uh, I, I haven't had the opportunity to preach on it or examine it in quite some time, so it was an interesting journey as I looked at this passage because there's so much richness to this. In fact, Dan and I were talking about this this morning, that there's so much to be gathered here in this passage. And so I want to invite you to look along with me the gospel passage. It's on your insert. And I want to start right off the bat with verse 13 here. When Jesus heard what had happened, what this is referring to, of course, is the death of John the Baptist, Jesus' relative and friend, the one who baptized Jesus. He had heard of his death. News had spread. So it's important when we understand the story to understand Jesus' mindset the best that we can. We certainly cannot ever fully understand another person's mindset and certainly not someone who is fully man and fully God. But one of the beauties of these stories that are told in the scriptures, when we try to put ourselves in the story or we try to understand what might have been happening in the story. So Jesus, though, is most certainly grieving. He's sad at the loss of this partner in ministry, this friend. And so naturally, he withdraws to a solitary place. Jesus loved his solitude, and certainly if you have ever grieved, you know that there are times in the midst of your own grieving that you want to be alone. And so Jesus heads to Galilee to be alone, to have solitary time, to mourn. And we also believe he was meeting up there with the disciples. But this is a very hard place to find solitude. It's a small area. The lake itself is not significantly large. And so, of course, hearing that he's coming, seeing, knowing that Jesus is coming, the crowds follow him. But this Jesus still goes to find this solitude, this rest, this time alone in the midst of ministry, in the midst of all that's happened, in the midst probably of his own grief at the loss of John. Then we come to verse 14. Jesus' response to the crowd that follows him. I'll have to be honest, I, I didn't notice this as much until this reading. But I think after reading the passage this time, this may even be a more profound moment than the miracle itself. What happens in verse 14? Understand, Jesus is seeking to be alone. He's grieving. He's probably tired. He's wanting to regroup. The, the ministry, the movement has taken a big hit at the loss of John the Baptist. And this crowd won't leave Jesus alone. If you ever wanted to be left alone and you can't be left alone, if you've been a parent, you've done this. It happens. But in the midst of his grief, in the midst of this desire to be alone, Jesus responds very uniquely. It says, when he saw the large crowd, he had compassion on them. In the midst of his own grief, in the midst of his own need for solitude, perhaps in the midst of being tired, 
Jesus sees this crowd, is not annoyed by this crowd, is not frustrated, but has compassion on them. And goes so far as to go and to be with the crowd and heal them, to offer healing to the sick. You see, I think this speaks volumes into our lives about who Jesus is. So oftentimes, we don't go to God with our problems. They seem too small. We can handle them ourselves. We don't want to bother God as if we're going to surprise God with our problems. There are bigger things like world wars and people who are dying of cancer than our problems, than our struggles. Jesus has better things to do than our stuff. But this passage points to the reality that Jesus is never saying, wait, leave me alone. I need a minute. Give me five minutes. We say that a lot in my house. Not Jesus. No. We can go to Jesus with everything. We can follow and pursue Jesus in every moment. We aren't going to bother or inconvenience the God of the universe who has compassion on us. In our culture, in our world, we all need those moments where we need to be left alone, whether grieving or needing to be focused or grumpy or tired or hungry or busy. But not so with Jesus. We can go now. We aren't a bother. Our needs, our worries, our life is not insignificant to the God of the universe. That in all our need, big and small, Jesus looks on us with compassion. And then we go to verse 15 and 16. We see the practical disciples. They have a practical moment. I'm a practical person. I think about the details. And so they're noticing that they're out in the middle of nowhere. They're not nearby food or a village. It's getting late. Perhaps that may have been the biggest factor. It was getting late at night. Jesus did not want to deal, the disciples did not want Jesus to deal with hungry people. Good Lutherans, the disciples were. They understood the importance of food. And so they, they start to realize we may have a problem. And so they go to Jesus with this problem. Jesus, we, it's late. It's dinner time. You, you don't want hungry people. They're going to get grumpy. We don't want to deal with that. We got... Send them to the village so that they can eat. They can come back a different time. We don't want to inconvenience them, inconvenience us, inconvenience you, right? It's that convenience thing again. And I love Jesus' response. They don't need to go. You give them some food. Now, I would hope that I would be wise enough in that moment not to argue with Jesus. But you have to imagine their response. You know, they're worried. They bring this practical matter to Jesus, and he says, you feed them. It's, very, it's a very blunt, a very stark answer that Jesus offers. And I'll tell you, this is an important sentence in this passage. You give them something to eat. This is something that is literal, and this is something that means something deeper as well. 
And it's not just a message for the disciples in this moment. It's not just literally feed them, but also feed them with my love. It's that. But it's not just this for these disciples in this moment. This is the message to the church. You feed them. Understand that as the church, as disciples of Jesus Christ, it's our responsibility to feed the people, literally and figuratively. And so Jesus has a message in this one sentence, not just for the disciples, not just to rebuke them to answer their practical question, but a charge for us as well. That's our call as the church, is to feed people, to meet their actual physical needs, but to meet the spiritual ones as well. So Jesus is dealing more than with mealtime here. It's a message for us. And the good news is, as we know in the story of the miracle, as you heard it read and as you're familiar with the story, Jesus does not leave them alone to figure it out on their own. Jesus gives them what they need. Jesus helps them with what they need. As he will with us, as he will with the church, as we seek to feed people, to meet their real needs, but also to give them the word of God, to give them this bread of life that is Jesus Christ. So here is not just a suggestion, but a command for us. And then in verse 17, we see a very natural response. Uh, Jesus, here's the thing. You may not be a detailed person, but we don't have that much. There's a lot of people here. We'll get to that. We only have this much. What we have is a meager offering, just a little bit. I love how Dan phrased it. Well, not all of it, that part about me, but that I love how Dan phrased it, you know, just, just a meal, just a little bit. And it's amazing what Jesus does with just the little that the people have, that the disciples can find, their meager offering. It's absolutely amazing. You see, what happens here, I think, is important. The disciples don't argue, but they do present the facts, I believe. That their intent is to honor what Jesus wants them to do. They do want to care about and feed these people. That's why they didn't want to leave them out in the wilderness hungry. They had good intentions. Here's the beauty of good intentions. That I believe that Jesus takes our good intentions, those intentions that are rooted in Jesus. He takes those good intentions and our meager offerings, our little bit of food, our little bit of whatever we have and does the miraculous with them. That when we hang around Jesus, our good intentions, our small offering of our lives leads to miracles. I've experienced that on the giving and the receiving end, and I love that truth, that Jesus takes our good intentions and our meager offerings and does miraculous things with them. Verses 18 through 20, of course, we're familiar, 18 through 21, the ver, the, we're familiar with the story, the, the miracle that Jesus takes this little offering of fishes and loaves, and he feeds all the people. Now understand, 5,000 men, so there are women and children, so there could be 10 to 20,000 people on the hillside. 
It's probably pretty crowded, by the way. It's not a big area. And Jesus takes this little bit and, and is able to feed everyone. And we're not talking a snack. You know, here's a snack that will sustain you so that you don't get grumpy and throw rocks at us. You know, we're talking like a meal, a full meal where you're fully filled, where there are leftovers. The biggest of all Lutheran potlucks. It's an abundance. That's what Jesus does, by the way, provides in abundance, more than we need. He takes the little we have and gives us more than we need, makes it more than we need. Because when we hang around Jesus with good intentions and give him the little that we have, he makes great things of it. And so it's amazing what happens here. The small offering and Jesus makes so much more. Here's the question for us. If God can take some fish and some loaves, and feed 10 to 20,000 people in abundance. What could he do with our lives? With our simple offerings of our prayer, of our time, of our talent, of our treasure. With the little that we have, the little that we can offer to Jesus. If he can do that with fishes and loaves, what can he do with our lives? What kind of miraculous things can begin to happen. See, it's not food that transforms, it's people that transform. It's relationship with God and his people that changes us. What could Jesus do with our lives? Even our church, think about it, so oftentimes we limit ourselves individually and as a church about what we can do, what we have, what we have to offer. But that's not the point. The point of the story is Jesus takes the little that we have and makes great things of it. And so if Jesus can do it with fishes and loaves, if Jesus can do it with our lives, then most certainly Jesus can do it with our church. That the little that we come together to offer, what can Jesus take and do with that in the community and in the world? What kind of miracle can Jesus make of that? Because when we come to Jesus with good intentions and offer what we have, miracles happen. Miracles in abundance. More than we can wish for, more than we could ever need. You see, it's a pretty powerful story. This is more than a story about a meal, some fishes and some loaves. It's a model for us. It's a model for us as followers of Jesus Christ of how we can live. It's a model for us as a church. I can't tell you how many times I have been surprised by how Jesus will take the little I have to offer in the midst of my imperfection. Some of the most mediocre stuff I've ever offered. And Jesus will take that and multiply that and do miraculous things. I continue to be surprised by this Jesus who would use little old me 
in amazing and surprising ways. And that's the truth. You see, Dan pointed us to it in the children's time. That we all have it. We can all do something. Jesus can take what we have and make great things of it. All of us. It was Mother Teresa who often said, you don't have to do great things, you have to do small things with great love. You see, it's not about being the best, about having the most. It's not about perfect theology or perfect biblical knowledge or perfect personality. It's about good intention and taking what you have to offer and giving that to Jesus and letting Jesus do a miracle. And I believe it. I've experienced it. I've seen it over and over again. I think it's possible in each of your lives. I think it's possible with our church. Fishes and loaves, little things, not much. Jesus takes the not much and makes it something miraculous. It's great news. It's that small, faithful step to offer what we have to Jesus. And like the disciples, to trust Jesus to do a miracle. A miracle that will supersede our dreams and our hopes. That will not only give us all that we need, but give us abundance so that we can share with others. I believe that God will do that with his church. I believe God can do that with this church. Take who we are and our faithfulness and do miraculous things. And I know that Jesus can do that with our individual lives. And I'm thankful that it doesn't take much for Jesus to do a miracle. Good, faithful intention and offering what we have. And trusting that God has abundance in store. Fishes and loaves. It's not much. But Jesus specializes in taking very little and making great things. And so my hope and prayer for myself, for my family, for each of you, for our church, is that we would be faithful with good intentions and take what we have, who we are, and offer that to Jesus. And let Jesus do miracles that will change us and change the world around us as well. Let us pray. God, we thank you for this story, for this word. That it's a story that's about more than food. And that Jesus, you can take our small and insignificant lives because we are loved by you, because in your sight we are all significant. You can take our meager and simple offerings of our lives, our time, our resources, and you can make great things of them. God, help us to bring our fishes and loaves to you, trusting you for a miracle, knowing that you will take what we have and provide for us and those around us in abundance. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.